This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, Shane Told, and today I talk to Will Pugh, yes, that's how you say his name, of Cartel. We have a great conversation, mostly about band in a bubble. Um, He explains it in the podcast, but if you don't know, basically they went on MTV and they wrote and recorded their second album, In a Bubble, and it was super, super weird, and after you finish listening to this, go on YouTube and check out some of the clips or try to download like the full episodes because it was super, super wild. Before we get into it, I want you guys to get in touch, of course, as you always do. I've been trying to respond to my emails. I get a lot. I like it, though. I love hearing from you guys. Uh, so it's leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. You can also find uh, us on Twitter at leadsingersyn. S-Y-N. You can find us on Instagram at Lead Singer Syndrome. And of course, you can find me at Shane Told on both of those things as well. We have a Facebook page that's rarely updated because honestly, fuck Facebook, but whatever. If you are a Facebook user, please like us on there. Also, make sure you're subscribed on iTunes. And if you're digging the show, it would really help us out if you gave us a review, preferably five stars. Uh, that just helps us with chart positions and, of course, uh, ultimately us getting better and better guests. So some news in my life. Silverstein, my band, we're going on tour. We're going across Canada and all through the U.S. We're doing you know, mostly B markets, some of the small towns. We're going on tour with Being as an Ocean and Emerosa, as well as Cold Rain all the way from Japan and this new Rise Records band, Rarity. All awesome, awesome bands. Very excited for that. Uh, so yeah, if you don't have tickets yet, please check out silverstein.sounddrink.com if you want to have a pizza party with us. We're offering that, as well as some great merch items for the VIP. And then, you know, we just have regular tickets too if you just want to come hang out. But uh, yeah, please come out. Um, it's going to be a great night, a lot of fun, and uh, 
of course, if you want to say hi, one thing that I do that maybe some people don't know, um, I always go out to the merch table after the show, unless like I'm ill or something. But I always go out once the crowd thins a little bit. I head out to the merch table. So if you want to say hi to me, whether it's about Silverstein, whether it's about Elite Singer Syndrome, whether it's about my new solo project, River Oaks, a uh, little cheap plug there, riveroaksmusic.com. Check out my solo stuff. But regardless, I will be there. So pick up a ticket, come, out, come and hang out, and it uh, should be awesome. And I got to give a big thank you to everybody that sent me uh, birthday gift cards uh, and birthday PayPal <laughs> money and everything. That was really, really sweet and generous of all of you people. Thank you. Uh, it's not too late. Hey, belated birthdays are a thing. If you still want to do that, you can. Syndrome at gmail.com. But yes, thank you seriously so much. Another way you can support the show is not by buying me a birthday present, but just buy yourself something. And it's really easy. Just go on Amazon Sorry, don't go on Amazon. Go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. Leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. And that'll bring you right to the Amazon homepage. You log in. You buy whatever you want to buy. And uh, we get 4% of uh, whatever you buy on there. If you spend 100 bucks, we get 4 bucks. So if 1,000 people spend 100 bucks, that is like $4,000. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 4000 bucks. So, hey, that would really, really help us with paying for all the stuff with the show. And, and of course, it would really just help us grow. Also, um, I've started, it was kind of a joke, but I started something called The Lightning Round uh, in this uh, episode, which basically I went on Twitter and I asked some people for some questions and they told me. So I asked uh, Will from Cartel some questions. If you like that stuff, tell me yay or nay. Uh, I might try it again. But if uh, everyone thinks it sucks and hates it, then I won't do it. Anyways, let's jump into it. This is episode 15 already of this podcast. Thank you so much for the support. Before we jump into it, there's going to be a quick ad for another podcast you should check out called 100 Words or Less, which I have been on before. Then we'll jump right into the conversation I had with Will Pugh of Cartel. Hello, everyone. My name is Ray Harkins, and I am the host of a podcast called 100 Words or Less. And what I do on a weekly basis is dive deep with some of your favorite artists in and around independent music. Now, this isn't your average interview show where it's like, hey, let's talk about how great your new record is or how's the tour going? Because frankly, that bores me to tears and I don't want to bore you. So come check out some really in-depth conversations that I've had with Buddy Nielsen from Senses Fail, Davey Havoc from AFI. And if you like independent music, you will find a few guests that I have had on that will tickle your fancy. So visit us at 100wordspodcast.com and you can find us on the iTunes store or any podcast catcher you may listen to. Thank you very much. Check it out. Hey everybody, I am uh, here with uh, Cartel's own Will Pug. Pew, actually. That's total. I, t- I know. I know how to say your name. I, <laughs> I was like, damn, it got me again. No, no. You know, I, I love how quickly you corrected me, though. I was, uh, I was hoping you would just, like, be very uh, polite and be like, it's okay. Everyone messes up my name. Well, they do. <laughs> I, it's, it's my own fault because of my social media. Uh, our, Jeff, our old bass player, used to call me Billy Pug all the time, just like a pet yeah. name. 
And when uh, Twitter, I was like, oh, yeah, Will Pug, that'll be funny. And then, haha! now, like, so many people, like, actually, the guy who has the main room in my studio here, he uh, he introduced me as Will Pug one time. I was like, oh, dude, it's, it's actually Pew, like, later. Uh, <laughs> and he was like, well, I thought it was Pug. I was like, your, your Instagram? I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I kind of did that to myself. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I I, um, I saw your Twitter, and I thought it was hilarious. So I thought that I'd open with, uh, open with a joke. Keep it light. Oh, know. yeah. No, you nailed it. I'm sorry. I blew your joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You made it even better. Uh, so you're uh, you're at your studio right now. And I guess since Cartel slowed down a bit, you're super into producing. Yeah, man. Uh, I didn't really see it coming, to be honest. Um, I have, I, I mean, I've always been interested in the recording side just because as a musician, uh, mm-hmm. writing your own songs, you know, you want your songs to sound as good as you know like when i was growing up smashing pumpkins was pretty much my right. main influence um okay and it's just like man I, I, you know i want a track like this is so cool and you start you know i've had so many different iterations of my recording rig it's ridiculous but um they were all like terrible for a very very long time and you know it's kind of the mystery of like well why doesn't it sound so good and uh you know, we started doing the records and Zach and Kenneth, you know, kind of peeking over their shoulder and, um, you know, just kind of seeing the different gear that was used and all these mics and kind of learning about it. It was really, you know, it's been over a decade now that I've been, you know, kind of a, uh, a hobbyist at it. Right. Um, and then, you know, produced uh, Cartel's last two releases and engineered them both, too. Um, and then just kind of decided, like, you know, I really have a... I, I, I like this a lot. Like I have a lot of fun doing it. So how is that when you're, you're, it's your own band that you've, you know, your own project that you've been doing a long time to all of a sudden kind of, you know, step into the driver's seat where now you're not even just in control of the songs, but you have to think about the production and, and every step of the way. Is that, is that difficult? And is it, is it hard to be, to sit with another band member and be like, yeah, you got to do that again. Like that sucked. You got to do that again. Is that is that hard uh, a hard approach or do you do you enjoy the the total control of it? Uh you know, it's you have to compartmentalize your mind a little bit. Like, you know, we spend a lot of time uh in the writing phase just in rehearsal rooms like not, you know, not recording anything, not doing any of that, just kind of getting the songs down. And then yeah. once I kind of had a picture of what, you know, um I wanted the song to sound like, which is pretty much every, you know, record we've done we've gotten to that point and then we go to a studio and other people take care of that business i was just able to kind of you just kind of have to switch your hat a little bit and start thinking about everything from a recording angle while also knowing like as an artist what you're trying to like get across but you know telling other guys like yeah that kind of blew you gotta you gotta do it again we gotta get it on time um it's it's a lot easier when you've you know been in a band for so long and everybody's tracked you know to where they they're good at tracking anyway so you don't have to worry about that right, so much right. but um no i mean you know there was never any really awkward moments um there's a couple times where it's like okay i'll probably replace that later because just knowing that you know the situation isn't right and they only have yeah. this amount of time and like okay i'll have to I'll, I'll redo that later um but there's only like you know little bits and pieces where it's like oh we need a different tone but we've only got like an hour left and we still got to track you know this other thing so um yeah it's always kind of time crunch man i know you guys know uh, a little bit about time crunches from your second record but we'll we're going to talk a lot about that in a, in a bit cool. um the thing um <laughs> the thing with me and recording, like, you know, I remember being, I think I w- it was my 14th birthday 
and I wanted to get a four track, you know, like a cassette, one of those Tascam recorders. Oh yeah. You know, because because at that point in my life, the only recordings I'd ever made were like like literally on a ghetto blaster, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so it was like my dream to have this four track like tape thing. So my parents kind of said, "Well, no, you know, you like we can't, you know, we can't afford it or whatever for your birthday, but what we can do is we can rent it and you you can try it out for like a week and if uh, you know, and if you decide, you know, it's really literally for you or whatever, then maybe you know, we can combine birthday and Christmas presents or you know, that kind of thing." So I got this Tascam 4 track and you know, I I, I love like I loved it. I loved hearing it back and stuff, but what really frustrated me and continues to frustrate me even to this day with recording is the first thing is my recordings never sound that great you know like compared to records and stuff and obviously they wouldn't but that always bums me out and the second thing is just the technical stuff like being like why the fuck isn't this working and they're like ah (laughs) phantom power you know or whatever and that stuff i find so discouraging just like i'm trying to be creative and then i'm worrying about like Oh, the gain level was too high, and I just like messed up this take or whatever. You know, just the stupid technical things, which is why I've always kind of pushed it away. Um, you know, now here I am, fucking editing my own podcast, <laughs> and, and now I know I'm I'm so good at editing and logic now. But uh, that's always really discouraged me, and I guess for you, it was the opposite. Yeah, I, I was just kind of I've always been a nerd. Like with anything I've been interested in, I kind of try to dive in and you know dissect every last little bit of it and you know figure out how i work with it because I'm, I'm also kind of like a i'm very stubborn uh, i'm a tourist go figure um but <laughs> like i you know once i get a working knowledge where it's like okay i'm not gonna blow anything up i'm gonna get signal you know whatever it's i then like kind of find my own way where in like kind of you know technique be damned to a certain extent right um and you know i've obviously had to uh to compromise that a lot but um you know, just learning different things like, oh, I'm doing that wrong. I need to redo that. But there's some things I get right that's like, oh, yeah, and that's not at all like how you're necessarily supposed to do it. I mean, not really. I mean, you know, I'm still going by, you know, the guidebook, if you will, but, um, you know, just kind of my own little take on it. But I, I see it as kind of like if you're a guitar player and, you know, you're in the moment and it's like, oh, the guitar's out of tune. I got to tune it real quick. And then, you, you know, it doesn't get you out of the creative vibe to retune your guitar or change a setting on your pedal or your amp. You just do it because it is what you're, you know, it's more towards what you're trying to go for creatively. Right. Yeah. And sense. all that's kind of second nature, you know, when you're so familiar with your, with your, with your gear. Um, so when, you know, you kind of extrapolate that into the studio realm and like all the stuff, you kind of just, once you get the hang of it to a certain degree, like none of that stuff really like gets in the way of the creative flow. One, because you're faster at it. And two, because you can immediately like analyze what's going on and fix it. Absolutely, man. No, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, and do you find now as a producer engineer, uh, do you find that you have more of a strength maybe when you're recording other singers, other vocalists, because, because you're, you're a pretty, you know, uh, you have a lot of experience, uh, as a singer yourself. Yeah, no, 100%. That's, um, anytime, like I'm making a pitch to a band that I, you know, haven't really, you know, they didn't contact me. I'm contacting them to say, Hey, you're awesome. Let's record together. Or, you know, anybody comes to me like, you know, what's, what am I going to get out of this? 
I, I feel like that's always like the feather in my cap is that I know like the sing, you know, playing guitar or drums or any of that stuff. Like obviously that has nuance and in, in you know certain technique to it that from a producer's side you can kind of hear it a little better. Like oh well you're you know you're kind of crushing that snare drum too hard. Like you're not letting it ring. Like lay back on it and uh, you know some more and that'll that'll open it up. Like you learn those things yeah. over time with singing. It's so hard to explain what the singer needs to do to get the sound if you're hearing something funky rather than like, oh, no, it just sounds like you're real closed or like it sounds like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of muffled. Like there's certain things that you just can't really get across sitting in the producer's chair uh, that, you know, makes sense to the person behind the microphone. And, uh, you know, from personal experience, you know, obviously I've, I've tracked a, oh, God, that's like 60 something songs I think Cartel's done. I don't know, but, um, you know, I've, I've I've had to be behind that booth and like I've had songs that went great and songs that were a struggle to get down right. correctly. And that's definitely the best thing I've got going as from a producer's angle is being able to know like vocal production, uh, not just from an engineering side, but be, you know, mostly just being able to communicate to the singer and make it really comfortable for them. Cause that's the, it's the hardest thing. Cause you know, singing, of course, yeah. You're used to just sitting down with a guitar or piano or whatever you use to write with and just, you know, belting it out. And then you're on stage and there's a microphone and there's a speaker and you just do it. But when it comes to a studio and everything is hyper analyzed and it sounds different because you're wearing headphones versus like in-ear monitors or nothing at all. And then like the track is, you know, you don't feel the track because you don't have a guitar amp right behind you. Like there's all sorts of different things that makes it really uncomfortable. So... Being able to just kind of hear what's happening in the singer's voice is, without a doubt, like my greatest asset as a producer. Absolutely. absolutely. Well, so many producers aren't singers. You know, I, I don't. Totally. I can't think of really any off the top of my head that that are. Uh, you know, for some reason, a lot of producers we work with are drummers. You know, like yeah. Mark Trombino, great drummer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and I struggled. You know, working with him. You know, uh, I, and I don't know. I don't know why. And and maybe maybe that is part of it. Um, but totally. that, that's awesome for you, man, uh, and and that's really good because, uh, you know, a lot of people once you know the the band slows down and stuff, they don't have something they're passionate about. So that's really really good, really good for you. Yeah, I just kind of you know backed into it. Uh, I kind of had like you know when Cartel was starting to slow down there. Um, I talked to you know my manager. I was like, dude, like we made this record, we love it, it's awesome, but you know we're not gonna make we're not gonna make a bunch of money off of it for you know a variety of reasons, but. Um, you know, it's like, I, you know, I've got a family, like I need to actually be making money. Like I, I'm kind of at my wits end. Like, do I go get a job, dude? What's going right. on? And he's like, bro, I've been kind of waiting on you to, you know, bring this up for a while. Uh, but he's like, dude, you should produce, like, you should really think about it. Like you already have all this, you know, like a majority of the stuff that you would need to get started and yeah. you have a working knowledge of it. And he's like, you, you know, you've done the last two records. He's like, you should just think about doing that maybe. Um, and you know, obviously I'm still an artist. I'm still going to want to create my own music and stuff, but as a means to an end of, you know, surviving, it's probably the most fun I could possibly have outside of, you know, being an artist. But you know, there's only so many records you can make as an artist, you know, in well, a year. I mean, <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, I, I, my band, I've, I've been doing that now for 15 years yeah. and you know, people always say to me, Oh, you know, I'm going to turn 35 next month. And, you know, and uh, the inevitable thing is like, well, this isn't going to last forever. You know, exactly. at some point I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be up there when I'm 60 years old, you know, uh, screaming, you know, like a, like how hilarious would that be? You know, I mean, hey, you never know, I guess. But, 
yeah. uh, you know, at, at some point it's go, you know it's going to slow down for me too, and and I just hope that I can find something else that I'm passionate about. So so that's when I say to you, you know, good for you that you found that it's it's a great thing. Um, it really is. But let's be fair. I mean, Cartel is not dead. You guys are still doing it. You guys put out a record a couple years ago now. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, 2013. So yeah, yeah we're approaching three years. Yeah, and and. Um, I want to get into that, all that stuff and what you guys are up to now, but I really want to go back and talk about um, uh, the career of the band and especially how you guys got started. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the first time I heard of you guys, uh, I was on tour and our merch guy was like, I got to go get this CD. I, where's the Best Buy? I got to get this CD. I'm like, okay. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I got to go right now. I'm like, ah, like, so, you know, we map quested or whatever it was at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he went out and he brought back the Chroma record. And was just like, this band's amazing. And he blared that thing, you know, like, until we were all sick of it. (laughs) And obviously, he wasn't the only one doing that at that point. And that record really took off. I mean, I think it sold, like, I think it's up to, like, a quarter million sold or something now. And you had a... We're scratching at 300, so we're just... 300? There you go. It's it's close. Even even better. Yeah. well, quarter three hundred is even more than a quarter million. Just a little bit. Yeah. There you go. Um, and you had a single that was certified gold. Honestly, was. Uh-huh. Um, and it was on an indie label too, right? With Militia Group. Yeah, yeah. And then it got upstream to Epic, right? Like a year later, basically. Oh, uh, okay. So, okay. So that's a good question. Um, was it one of those deals where you guys were kind of already on Epic when you signed? No. Or they had the label had a deal with Epic like that. Well, it's kind of interesting, um, saving like a 20-minute story here, but um, we were on Militia, uh, and we – I forget – yeah, we were in New York at the uh, the Continental, which I don't think exists anymore, but um, – Oh, I remember that venue. One of the biggest shitholes ever. <laughs> no, I don't think they do shows there anymore, but occasionally I'm in New York, and I think it's in like St. Mark's Place, and uh, I'll go past it, and it's like – yeah, tequila shots for a dollar or whatever. So the place is terrible. Anyways, continue. You're playing a show in the small club, the Continental. Small club in this uh, like A&R, like assistant A&R guy uh, who's still a good friend. I was actually in his wedding uh, like five or no, like eight years ago at this point. But um, he worked for Lava Records. and Yeah, um, it was Atlantic, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. They kind of got hot on us and was like wondering like what the deal is with Militia. Like, you know, could we upstream you? Like, what's the deal? I was like, I have no idea. Um, Militia was part of uh, Red Distribution, which is Sony. So yep. Sony had right of refusal in that case. So Atlantic was actually uh, Jason Flom, who was the president of Lava, was flying out to um, flying out to L.A. to actually buy Militia Group off of Red Distribution and like put them on Warner so that uh they could upstream us properly and wow. he, yeah and then um uh our friend Lear Cohen uh actually fired Jason Flom on the plane on the way to buy us out of that contract <laughs> um so that fell fell through uh, needless to say but by that point in time like the you know the you know the hits daily double or whatever like rumor mill was sort of yeah. tra- trafficking trafficking around and that kind of uh it was a catalyst for uh sony to sort of jump in so then we had our choice between columbia and epic ultimately chose epic so yeah it was it's kind of serendipity you know right yeah you, you you totally wonder if that guy didn't whatever do whatever he did on the plane 
um yeah. it could have been totally different you know and i think of lava records i think it was like simple plan and uh maybe sugar ray was on lava yeah i'm, I'm pretty uh, sure you know and, and they, they were doing some some pretty huge stuff at the time mm-hmm. um yeah that's crazy man well i mean that record was i mean it's your biggest record and yeah. it's also your first record which is does that bum you out a little bit yeah, because I mean, I, I think we did. I under, I totally understand why people kind of glorify Chroma and why you know it kind of is what it is um, to our fans. But you know, like as an artist, you know, you're always going to think what you just did or like it's something else that you did after that was like really kind of what you know best represents you. Uh, and I would say our second and third record really, uh, even actually pretty, pretty much anything after that, because Chroma is kind of, you know, we wrote all those songs, like our EP that we recorded before that, we did like in a weekend. I mean, not writing yeah. it, but like recording yeah. it. it was so fast. And Chroma was, you know, just as fast for an album. We did it in like, uh, I think 17 days of tracking and total of 21 days with mixing. Right. And, um, and it would like immediately flew right after like we ended the last mixing session, got on a plane, flew to L.A. and mastered it. Um, so, I mean, we had zero time for mixed revisions or anything like that. That just sure. r- literally yeah. is what it is. And you're like, oh, that was so seat of the pants. And then, you know, we have Epic and we have a major label budget and we're, you know, doing the second record. And then we have Wind Up and, you know, we have like four months to record our third yeah. record. And you're like, certainly this has to resonate better because we knew what we were doing. But there's some magic, you know, that, you know, in that first one that people really latch on to, you know, like they just I get guess stuff so. to replicate. I mean- I mean, all of your records are great. You know, it wasn't, it's not like, it's not like you're, it's, you know, it's not like some bands where, oh, well, the band, you know, their records sold less with each one because the records just weren't as good. You know, I think the songs got better and the production, of course, got better. So it must be hard for you as, you know, being immersed in it to be like, what the fuck? Why isn't this working? What are we doing wrong? And, and that's, that's a hard thing to, it's a really hard thing to swallow. Yeah, yeah, and no, I mean, in, you know, we tried to sort of, you know, pull a Radiohead a little bit and like kind of progress faster than our fans were necessarily in order to just be like, yo, like it was obviously, you know, there was like three and a half years between when we actually wrote Chroma to when we were working on the second record, and like yeah. our taste changed dramatically. I mean, the scene was going through such a you know an evolution at the time too that we were like, you know, this is our chance to really like break out and like not necessarily like succeed, but do something different. And, um, I mean, I, I, I totally think we accomplished that and some people got it. And I think the second record's response, had we not done the bubble, I think it would have been a lot better because I think the bubble just sort of shrouded, um, the whole thing and like caused people to assume things about the record that weren't necessarily true. But that being said, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't dislike the fact that Chroma was so big because it's like, ha, huh, well, I guess the first thing we did was pretty sweet. It didn't suck <laughs> to people. So, like, that, that's a good Most thing. Most people's first thing does suck, yes. And uh, I think our first record's pretty terrible, too. It happens, um, man. You know, I mean, but it's, it's but just... uh, we, we know the thing is, is we, we got the chance. Like, we, we were able to put, you know, do the groundwork on our first record, and then we had a second chance where we had a little bit of popularity, and we were able to put together this... You know, we were able to craft what we knew a whole bunch of people were going to hear, yeah. you know, and, and we had that chance and we knew it was going to be big. And I have this theory about second records mm-hmm. um, that basically no band in the history of, you know, rock music has ever, you know, 
had a failed second record and be able to recover from it. Nope. Like, Agreed. I, I, I've thought of, I've had this conversation with many people and I've thought about it. And the only band I can think of is maybe Weezer. Okay. Yeah, uh, true. And, and they're, you know, they're Pinkerton, which is an, a phenomenal record. Absolutely. Probably my favorite Weezer record. Um, it, it was a huge flop, you know, and they had to take five years off mm-hmm. and then put out basically almost a duplicate of their first record, even more watered down version to get it back. And they still mm-hmm. never got back to where, you know, they, Weezer was like one of the biggest bands in the world, you yeah. know, back in the, in the, you know, after the blue album came out. So I, I, I really have this theory that, that that's the case. And, you know, with you guys having so much hype with the second record um, and for the people that, that, you know, maybe don't, don't know about this or too young to, uh, to remember, Explain what you guys did on your second record that was so unique slash gimmicky. Yeah. So um, Epic brought us this idea that they had been, uh, I guess, pitched to for whatever the proper preposition is there. But um, they had this idea called Band in a Bubble, which was a uh, a remake, basically, of a documentary slash art project that a band in Australia had done. The band was called Regurgitator. They basically, like, set up shop uh, in, like, a, a plaza somewhere, like, built a, you know, a temporary construction, lived in it, recorded a record. It was kind of like an art installation for people to be able to walk by and be like, oh, what's this? And, like, kind of familiarize themselves, um, which at that point, you know, they did it completely independent, I think. Uh, they might yeah. have had, they might have had, you know, some other funding. I'm not sure. But... um they did it all like that to basically, you know, just like promotion for their record and doing something cool. Um, well, typical American style, they, they took regurgi- that out. regurgitated the idea. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I tried to make that work uh, with the name of the band. It didn't work. Dude, I'll take it. Regurgitated the idea. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I- irony is is always a funny thing, in, in that the band's name was Regurgitator. But um, anyway, they. Uh, so uh, Dr. Pepper got on board to promote it. Um, they were the main, like I guess, instigators of the whole thing, and they got uh, MTV to uh, like sign on to do like a little mini series to do the same yeah. thing. Um, I know that we weren't the only band approached. Uh, I'm not. I, I heard a couple rumors as to who it else they talked to about it, but we were not the first. Um, who were some of the other rumors? If you can speculate. Uh, I the names the two names I heard were uh, All American Rejects and Motion City Soundtrack. Oh wow! Um, I don't know if that's true, but that's what we heard down the line, like after the fact of people, you know, discussing it with us uh, in various, you know, managers or booking agents or attorneys, whatever. But um, yeah, so essentially, what we did the uh, the pitch for us was that we were going to go into the bubble which essentially looked like a giant igloo that they built on Pier 54 in uh, New York. And um, coincidentally, I think it was the same pier that the Lusitania took off from. So, haha. Um, but <laughs> um, anyway, they, uh, they built like a, a giant, you know, bubble thing there. And it's like, you know, it was all branded out. And essentially we were supposed to, uh, we were supposed to record a few songs and then, um, we were, or we were supposed to record like four to five songs was the deal. And um, they were going to live stream it and, you know, video 
the whole thing for uh, for an MTV little miniseries, and they were talking about you know TRL is going to be hosted from there, like a couple episodes, right? Uh, just sort of like really blow it out. I mean, we were getting the smoke blown so far up our ass; it was ridiculous. Um, and uh, you know that was basically the pitch. It was you're gonna you know we're gonna do an album, but we're gonna track four to five songs in here. You're gonna be in here for twenty days kind of going to be you know that's going to be the whole thing and you know as a band that had just like you know we had broke i think at the time our record had sold chroma had done like maybe 190 maybe close to 200 at the time yeah um honestly it was like number 19 on pop radio like we were, we were killing it they were about yeah. to release uh, they're about to release say anything else uh as the second single to radio and then this whole thing came up where they basically were like nope um so we didn't get forced to do it. It was one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't scenarios. Yeah. And, and honestly, like the, the pitch that they gave us, it was like, yeah, there's branding. Yeah, there's this. But we knew the songs we had weren't like, you know, prototypical, like pop, you know, redundancies. We knew that we had some stuff that was different that was like, this could be really cool if it was, you know, if we got this sort of launching pad to really get out into the mainstream and for people to be able to like really experience the music um, that wouldn't normally pay attention to, you know, absolute punk or anything like that. Um, just, you know, try to get out to people who are unaware. But by the time right. we actually, um, by the time we actually got down to doing it, uh, I remember this. This is a funny anecdote. I was, um, it was about two weeks away, and I w we were in Greenville, South Carolina, playing like a sea market little tour, just kind of doing something. And um, I was doing an interview with People Magazine, and okay. yeah, so which was already like, ha! I can't believe I'm doing an interview with People. Like this is stupid. Um, but well, in a funny way, like you know, I can't believe they're actually oh, talking yeah. to no, me I of understand. all people. You know, like I George Clooney yes. and Will Pugh is like, ha ha. Yeah, right. But um, <laughs> anyway, they, uh, you know, she was talking to me and she's like, okay, you know, we did the whole, you know, interview niceties thing. And then she's like, all right, well, let's jump into it. Okay. Um, so, Will, what's it going to be like to write and record your album in 20 days? And I was like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, we wrote this <laughs> record a year ago. <sighs> like, you know, like, are you, are you like, what? And then like the phone goes dead and I was like, huh, okay, whatever. Like I didn't, you know, it was like a, a conference call thing. So I didn't have any number to call her back. So I was like, whatever. And I get a call from our manager and he was like, dude. Um, so I think the label fucked up. It's like, what? And he's like, they didn't, he's like, you didn't get any emails today. I was like, not that I'm aware, <laughs> not nothing pertaining to this conversation. And he was like, well, um, and what I also found out that, uh, the label, like, uh, publicity, whatever A and R guy, the publicity head listens to all those interviews and like will cut in and like stop it if it's something that they don't want to oh be. Oh my god, told. really? Yeah, dude. some Big Brother shit. That's crazy. Yeah, so that's why the phone went dead because because I just blew apart the whole thing and um, you know, like he's basically told me that they had switched the the you know promotion was going to be all about like we're going to write and record it in 20 days. And I was like, who the fuck writes and records an album right, in 20 days? You well, don't even know what it's you got in 20 it's days. Impossible. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. That's what I was going to ask you about. Cause I, I assumed that that was just, yeah, that was just bullshit. You know, that somebody made up this gimmick 
and said, this band's going to do this when it's like, really, you have all the songs written. Yeah. And, and that I was, was like, real, and, and then I was like, there's no way they would have actually track, like maybe you track everything in 20 days in, you know, in there. And then, you know, and then you get like Chris Lord algae to mix it or something like, you know, it's yeah. not going to be mixed there with like someone looking in a window while the guy's like critically listening to uh, a mix, you know? Uh, yeah, no, there's absolutely. There's just no way. So, so that was what I was going to ask you about. So the truth was you guys had the songs written, and then what did you even do in the bubble? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, and the, you know, the label knew this. We had been sending them demos since, like, Warp Tour the previous year. Um, and Dr. Pepper knew this. Like, everybody knew that we had already written the record. And um, – at that point in time that I was talking to them was like early, I think it was like late April. We had actually just wrapped like probably 80% of the recording. Like we recorded pretty much all of that record at Tree Sound where we recorded our uh, Chroma, but we recorded in the main room rather than the side room where we did Chroma. Um, we had done like all that. And it was like, what? You just made us look like fools. Because like not at one point in time before that circumstance had we ever been told that that was the way they were going to run it. Right. So you're like, I mean, I was livid. I was like find, scrolling through emails trying to find anybody's number I could right, and just call course. and bitch them out. Like, are you crazy? Like, people are going to think – they're obviously – like, people who know, like yourself and others who know how this works, they're going to know that's not the way it is. And two, you're just hoodwinking, like, fans that are gullible enough to believe that or, you know, uneducated enough in how it all works. It's just like, that's that's terrible. Like, you just went from making us, like – you're like, okay, yeah, you know, they teamed up with Dr. Pepper and, you know, MTV, and that's kind of a sellout move from, like, an old-school standpoint. But, you yeah. know what? They they wrote the record they wanted to write. It was kind of ambitious, and they went and did it. You know what? More power to them. It went from that to fuck these guys, like, real quick. Right. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> then we went, um, then we went in, and in the bubble, we actually tracked probably, like, uh, there's probably four, three, three to four songs on vocals. Um, just some of the stuff that you would do, like towards the end of an album, finishing it up. Like it was a guitar solo we tracked. Um, yeah, you know, just some stuff like for the camera. We were like, all right, let's track a guitar solo because people want to see guitar solos. Let's do, you know, or see some guitar work. We'll we'll track a, you know, this little loop drum thing that we were going to do for a song, like that we kind of wanted to sound shitty anyway. We're like, even if it sounds great, that's awesome. <laughs> we'll just make it sound bad. But in case it sounds yeah. bad, it'll be perfect. Um, there you you know, go. So we did all that. Um, uh, we and planned the whole it thing. A lot. The whole thing was that you guys weren't allowed to leave. Did you? Was that real? That that actually was real. We were not allowed to leave. Um, but I mean, they stocked us with you know pretty much any food we wanted from anywhere Dr. in Pepper, New York. Doctor Pepper, KFC. Oh yeah, what other well, see, corporate sponsors? Is KFC and Walmart? God <laughs> damn it! And th those people weren't like we actually didn't even know they were teaming up until we drove up to the bubble like to go into it the same night, and we look up on the thing, and it's like, are you serious? Like we're just like at every a little bit at every turn, we kind of got screwed over just a little bit yeah. more. We're like, we never would have signed on with Walmart and KFC. Like I literally loathe those two companies. <laughs> you know, like I. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't dislike them any more than I do. Like, yeah. how, what the hell is going on? No, if it was my band full of vegetarian, ver vegetarians and vegans, that would be a real problem for us. Yeah, but, uh, it wouldn't <laughs> happen. It was actually pretty funny because our drummer, Kevin, uh, 
is not a Dr. Pepper guy. I mean, he has Coca-Cola running through his veins. And we're from Atlanta. Right. It's the home of oh, Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah, of course. You're, yeah, you're from Atlanta, of course. Yeah. So we, um, when they were doing like a grocery list, uh, you know, Kevin was like, hey, I don't mean to be rude, but fuck Dr. Pepper. I do not like it. Uh, but I drink soda and I need Coke in my life. And they were like, okay, so all of the – anything that wasn't a Dr. Pepper company, like we had – Tons of Dr. Pepper, obviously. Tons of uh, Snapple, which was under the same parent company. Uh-huh. Um, tons of that. But anything that wasn't under that was, like, unlabeled. Like, they brought in, like, Coke in, like, a, you know, like a kindergarten, like, pitcher. So it yeah. was never, like, actually branded. Everything was, like, totally, like, all the brands were gone. Um, and we, we couldn't refer to it as Coke. We had to refer to it um, as anything but Coke or like soda. But we well, said – Right, because in Atlanta, you guys call everything Coke. Exactly. You call Dr. Pepper Coke, which is, which first of all is the weirdest thing ever. Dude, yeah. Um, I, we're weirdos. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if people – everyone knows that. Maybe people don't don't know that. But yeah, in Atlanta and I think most of the South. Most of the you, South like, for sure. Like, But how does it work? Like you go to a restaurant – and you like let's say Waffle House, and you're like, yeah, I'll take a Coke. Do they ask you what kind, or do you have to um, specify what? You know what I mean? How does that work? It's more like a like a kind of passing phrase sort of thing. Like if we're in the car, like, oh yeah, when we go to the gas station to get gas, we'll uh, I'm gonna go in and get a Coke, and they'll come out with a Sprite, and you're like, thought you're getting a Coke, you know? And it's like, well, right, I was getting a soda, okay. but we call it Coke. Um, no, if you I mean if you're ordering a restaurant, and you order Coke, and then they, you know. And then you wanted a sprite, like they're you know you're gonna get bitched out, like that's for sure. Like that's not that's not how we do things. But I mean, it just in passing phrase, you know, like I, I believe every you know north uh, northeast mid Midwest, like all those people refer to it as pop. Yeah, that's what um, we say here too. Yeah, which is much more descriptive <laughs> than just saying Coke. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's a weird thing we do. But we refer to it as uh, Atlanta water. That was our phrase that we came up with to describe Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Atlanta water. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um damn man. That no, that is so crazy like with the bubble and I um I watched it back whenever what year was that? Like 2007 maybe? Bingo. Yep. Okay, yeah. I remember watching it, you know, on like our bus and stuff and thinking this is just ridiculous. And it was. Uh and I uh so I tried to watch a little bit of it like over the last couple of days cuz I knew I was going to talk to you. And I couldn't really find, like, any full episodes, so I just found some clips. Uh-huh. And you look, like, pretty bummed out and pretty over it, like, the whole time. Well, that's the from, thing, From, like, man. the clips I found. Like, you're kind of just standing there, like... And I don't know if they what they want from you as, like, the lead singer, if they want you to be this, like, over-the-top, you know... Like, this is the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast, you know? So, yeah. you know, like, the stereotypical lead singer, like, oh, where the fuck's my Dr. Pepper, man? And, like, <laughs> this doesn't have enough ice in it, you know? Hey, drummer, get me more ice, you know? Uh, but you seemed, like, quiet, kind of introverted. Maybe that's your personality, you know, anyways. It is. Um, but, yeah. okay, but but you seemed very, like, get me out of here. Yeah, dude, like, that's the thing. Like, I wish we had... Uh, access to like the archives of footage because we actually had a fucking great time in there. Like we made the most of it, and okay, we we defy like all the typical stereotypes of bands. Like we don't fight. We've been friends for twenty something years. Like we got all our fights away, you know, out of the way in high school. Like when we were young <laughs> and stupid. Um, you know, we had gone on the road together. We're family. Like we're brothers, and like there was not going to be any fighting. Um, 
we like had food fights and like got drunk and yelled at each other and just you know just yeah you know just having fun making the yeah, most of what we absolutely well what we I had got to that I mean I got that too I, I guess I shouldn't say like it seemed just seemed like yeah no, you know you I, guys are popping bottles of champagne and yeah and um and I you know when you guys are like jumping off this like high whatever yeah. it was like you know onto onto the couch and you know, you guys are are clearly having having fun. And at that point, when I saw this, I was like, there's no way they made the record in there. Like, there's no way that they're spending any time doing that when they should be recording. But then I saw a couple couple clips of you and like you actually and maybe it's just because now looking like like now I can look back and be like, I know what happened, that Mm -hmm. the record didn't do so well. And you know what I mean? And you guys never topped your first record. So, you know, because of that, I can maybe see a little bit of gloom in your eyes that maybe wasn't really there but it seems like you're almost worried <laughs> well it, it wasn't yeah it was weird man like um you know the the guys didn't really experience the uh, you know the interview side of things or like the working knowledge of exactly how these deals were going down um or you know they heard everything that i heard as far as like what we were told like this is what the you know promotion is going to be um and i mean i guess they were you know they obviously were just as disappointed as i am that they were like trying to pull all this gimmick stuff but we figured once we actually got to the bubble it was just like oh yeah we'll just do our thing and um you know they pulled a couple like just bullshit like what are you doing we're not children like we weren't fighting and we told them by the way like way up front like after we had signed or like even before we had signed like if you're looking for the real world and you think like one of us is going to just knock the other guy out that is not going to happen right if, if you shoot this like like jackass and us just being stupid you will have a success because we just dick around all the time like <laughs> just shoot it like that but if you want drama you got the wrong guys and right like, oh yeah sure sure but you know it's gonna be like i'm like you know you're 20 days trapped in the same place i'm like do you realize how big that thing is do you know how small a tour bus is you stay in a tour bus nine months out of the year like this is easy we actually have space we can go hide like this is crazy but yeah i mean they I, we saw we saw the episodes or the first episode when they um when they released it and they had cut up footage like a lot of the stuff you're talking about like was me like i i know there was one scene where i'm sitting there you know uh playing acoustic and um kevin in the scene they're trying to put together kevin was talking about like this one song and he's like i don't really like that song a whole lot but you know uh you know, oh you, wow yeah you guys like it but you know like there's this thing and he was saying he wasn't even talking about our song he was talking about another song that we were trying to reference and they cut out the part right after that where he said but i think we did a good job like kind of switching it around and doing something different with it and like making yeah. it a cartel they cut that out and then the scene of me st- uh, sitting there with a the guitar I, like somebody makes some stupid joke and i look over and like give him the you know like the yeah, nice one, dude. Like that was the face I was making, but they cut it up, and they were for, that was like from two different days. Like it wasn't even the same right. thing. They cut it up to make it look like Kevin says that, and then I look over like, "Fuck you, man!" Like it's and we saw that, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" I'm like, "You just made drama where no drama exists," and so we like went nuts. Like we took all the webcams down, like ripped them off the wall, like we we rioted. And oh. they uh, they came in, they're like. 
you know, we're like, we got to talk to you guys. Like, we're not going back out there. Like, we just went and hid. Like, <laughs> and they're like, you can't, you, you can't do this. We're like, you're making us look like dicks. Like, this is not who we are. Like, we didn't sign up for that. Not one person here told us this is what was going to be, or we never would have done this in the first place. They're like, oh, no, we get it. And then, like, a couple of days later, they come back and like, you know, when you guys get in discussions, could you, like, sort of, could you, you know, not sort of, you know, cool it down with some reason could you just kind of like spur it on and like maybe have a couple arguments <laughs> we really think it'll like you know it'll work better for television where i'm like no you want me to risk a friendship over some right. stupid thing you're trying to do is like why don't you get all the stuff of us cutting up and joking around and then like actually show us playing music right. maybe and then it, it seems like they kind of got it after that i guess they once they realized that you guys weren't going to do what they wanted they, you know, and I don't know, was it successful overall with the, um, uh, uh, you know, with ratings and all that shit? Oh, uh, you know, man, I, I, I don't know. I never really bothered to it find out. It seemed like it. I mean, you know, it, it seemed like a big hit, but you know, I, I mean, who knows really, I, I guess. I will tell you, we got a lot of, we got a lot of different people coming to the shows, um, after that album. Um, and you know, obviously we lost some people because of it, but, um, yeah, it, like it, it there are some people that like legitimately believed that and like came and watched this play we were like oh yeah i just i loved watching you guys in the bubble you guys were so fun like it was such like a real thing and just like yeah. you saw the same thing we did like, i know right so, I mean, it's so it, weird you know, it worked for the people that it was meant to work for but i guess it just never they never really were necessarily focused on the music and that's kind of where the the impasse was between us, the band. I mean, if they'd have gone in there and be like, all right, listen, you're going to have to suck it up and like, you know, just do some of this and play a little bit for the camera. But we promise you like it will mean like success. And then, you know, you can spend time like, you know, making up uh, your you know public image of like, oh, you guys are actually all friends and, you know, friends just get into arguments, which is true. But, you know. They, if they would have played it that way to us, at least we would have had the opportunity to like rationalize it and be like, "All right, do we do that or do we not do this? Do we bail? Like, what's the you know?" Yeah. We, rather than just getting kind of stuck with it right there. So a lot of my faces in that thing. I mean, they did some other gimmicks, like they brought farm animals in one morning to wake us up, like literally like goats and chickens. Like I woke <laughs> up with a fucking rooster like looking me dead in the eye. I was like, "Are you serious?" Like I I almost like busted out the back door and went straight to the production trailer and just to chew them out but yeah like, like what are you doing like had somebody like we had a, a pretty rough night of drinking one night and they had like some uh like uh it was like a tv show like fitness thing that this lady like does morning like workouts or whatever uh, i remember i remember this yeah yeah like she came in and just drill sergeanted us like the whole way around like you know all of us threw up one guy just said nope not doing it and just left and went upstairs and went back to sleep um, you know, just, they're like, <laughs> oh no, you're God. doing this. You guys are just in here eating a bunch of food and drinking. Like you need some exercise in your life. Right. And like, just, just trying to wear us out and like, you know, cause some drama. I'm like, what does any of this have to do with making a record? Which is the whole point of this. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, most of the faces you see are legitimate, but just not necessarily towards the scene they're right. trying to cut. Well, well, <laughs> the other thing too, like is. You know, when, with your band, and you know, you said a, a few minutes ago that you know you lost some people, and you know, when our merch guy discovered you guys and had to run to Best Buy to get your CD, uh, and it was you know he thought you guys were the the greatest band ever. He wasn't all that thrilled when he saw oh you guys are on MTV now 
like, you know, I can watch a reality show, you know, like the real world or whatever, basically featuring cartel now. Um, you know, you weren't everybody's little secret anymore. You know, you weren't this little yeah. band from Atlanta on a very small indie label anymore, you know? And I, I think a lot of people want, wanted you guys to be, you know how it is. Like you discover a band and your friends don't know about it yet. And, you know, and you love this band. And as soon as everyone knows about them, it's no matter how good they are or how much you love them, it's, it's not as special anymore. So yeah. do you think that that contributed to, to kind of losing like those, you know, you say you sold 190,000. Do you think that those fans were kind of turned off now that you guys are all of a sudden this, this great big thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was a little, uh, I think it was some of that for sure, because um, I, I think humans, especially the, you know, the youngins that listen to the music, um, they, uh, and I say that with my tongue firmly in my cheek, um, that they they sort of have that sort of like ownership of a band and the second like it gets popular it's like uh, or if they don't find out about a band until they're very popular it's like screw those guys they're famous you know like right of there's, course. there's that bit to it which i've never had that like impression like when i find a band that's like super tiny and then like they blow up i'm stoked i'm so stoked for the band like and that was even before i was you know involved in music to where i could like cheer from like a yeah dude you guys are actually getting paid this is sick for you you know like yeah i've always yeah, kind of had mean, that so i don't understand that to a certain degree but i know it exists and it does know, it does exist it. and 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 part of the way and i feel i'm the same as you uh you know i remember like i discovered like frank turner when he was like a tiny artist you know mm-hmm. i saw him play in a bar in toronto like 100 people and i still love frank turner but that being said his fir- the first record i heard by him is by far my favorite. And I don't even know if it's his best record, but for me, it's my favorite, always will be. And I think that that's how a lot of your fans will feel about Chroma because that's the first record they heard. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, your new record comes out and you've been this big, you know, band in a bubble or whatever. And I think people are just, a lot of people are like, well, it's not as good. And then that sediment, uh, you know, maybe gets passed around a little bit. And maybe that was part of why it didn't catch on. I mean, hindsight is 2020, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, I guess it's possible. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, when, you know, popular sentiment sort of resonates, um, you know, if somebody puts out a bad vibe about something, it's sort of hard to, you know, get over that and be like, nah, man, actually, this is really good versus, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, the same is true on the other side where somebody hypes it and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. Cool. Even yep. if you don't necessarily get it, you're like, I'm supposed to get it and I'll get it eventually, I guess. But that's, yeah, yeah. that's so true. Yeah, it's it's a. It's a weird thing. It's like some psychological, like, you know, humanities discussion. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think it was partly that, as you mentioned before, but also there was a timing element involved. Cause like I said, uh, they were going to be doing, they were about to release, um, say anything else had an impact date at radio. Like we had already broke top 20 and they had like, all right, we're going to do say anything else. And then, uh, depending on how that goes, if it blows up, we're going to either hit them with, you know, matter of time or the ballad save us, uh, which they had us re-record save us to, uh, include the full band, um, and an orchestra so that it could be played on radio. That's the only reason right. they had us re- redo it. And it was like, okay, yeah, cool. Um, so I mean, they 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 had like a four single um plan laid out and then that just got stalled i'm like we've sold almost two hundred thousand records from a band that was nothing to where we are in such a quick matter of time like pardon the pun but um 
like we've done this like and you're just going to shoot it right in the face for this deal they're like it doesn't matter the bubble's going to blow this thing way out of the right. water you'll yeah. still sell all those records but then you'll have this new record going and then you know it's you know it's all that and i think part yep. of it was epic wanting their own album that they like cultivated and can you know see from the start and sure. i get that too but why are you going to like trample on a good thing which is pretty yep. much you know it's a little uh vignette of the industry's you know it's true well it, it, <laughs> it takes um it takes people sometimes quite a while to find out about a band you know and and most most you know successes on first records you, you know you don't jump you know you don't usually have like a typical kind of two-year cycle usually it is a little bit longer on the first record because it takes people longer to find out about things and with yeah. you guys it was uh you know who knows but, hey whatever uh i want to talk before you know we've already been talking for a while and there's so much more i want to ask you um it's all good man but but <laughs> I, I, one one record i want to talk to you about is your record cycles yeah which uh my producers is my producer's favorite record and you want me to ask you about that one um, and he kind of thinks uh wanted me to ask you if you think if it's your guy's favorite record and if it's kind of the album you think resonates the most with the fans there's a lot of song yeah i mean I, I think if chroma didn't exist or didn't have the you know reception it did cycles is definitely the second favorite amongst the fan base and amongst us i mean there's a couple songs in there that i'd be like eh, i'd be all right not having on it um in hindsight but uh, without a doubt, the best produced, the best sounding record that we have ever done. It's right. I love the way that the Sonics came out on that record. Awesome. Yeah. No. Well, you were on Wind Up Records, I guess, and Wind yeah. Up was you know they were they were known to throw a lot of money at bands. So I guess mm -hmm. you guys had a lot of a high recording budget and all that stuff, right? Well, yeah. I we never actually saw a recording budget. Um, but what essentially what happened with that? Um, we came up to the Wind Up Studios, which is in uh, Quad Studios in New York. Um, we went up there and we kind of like did some pre production sort of stuff there to. Uh, figure some you know figure out some things we needed to work on and they basically gave us the option like you know here's a couple guys we think might do really well for this record we want you to talk to them and whatever and um you know we talked to rob schnapp who I, i'm a huge fan of the way his records sound um and thought that would be cool like you know we had a good uh talk with him and then they brought on um the creative a and r guy there who's actually a really big writer um Greg Wattenberg uh, and the yeah. man, he's a really good guy. I like him a lot, cool. but cool. he brought it, he brought it on to me and he was like, he's like, okay, you can do the record there or you guys have already seen the studio and they had an awesome studio. Like they had great gear, like a great vibe. We really enjoyed it. Like, or you can make the record here if you want to. And it was like, oh, I didn't even know that was an option. They're like, yeah, you can do it with us. And basically you would co-produce it with Ross, um, who is the like the in-house engineer. And I, that usually sounds like, oh, yeah, the in-house guy. But he was actually like um, uh, Rich Costi's like, assistant forever. And okay, then yeah. Greg sort of stole him to do all the demos for his. Um, and I guess, you know, in the pop world, a lot of times the writers will actually produce the stuff, too, if they're that big. Um, so he produced the stuff and had Ross engineer it. And Ross is like, I love Zach and Kenneth to death. They're just some good friends of mine, but Ross was just a stupid, good engineer. Like he was so fucking good. Um, so I learned a, a I, it's, I can't put it into words how much I learned from that guy, but we ended up doing it there like over four months. So, uh, they, I don't know how much they actually spent, but they would have been spending that money anyway because they had the yeah. studio. So oh, okay, it worked yeah. out, yeah. but we did get, um, Ben gross to mix it. Who, uh, 
I'm a really big fan of his stuff. Um, but he, he did a great job too. So I, I'm sure they paid him quite a bit actually, cause he's pretty, he's pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> nice man. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, it's time for the lightning round. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the lightning round is so not a thing. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, I wanted to try something a little different. So I put on Twitter, I asked some, uh, some people on Twitter what they wanted to ask you that you were going to be on the show. Okay. So, uh, what the hell? Let's try this out. Maybe it'll suck. Whatever. Uh, so, um, black metal life. I don't know why a guy who likes black metal likes cartel, but um, you never know. Me. He wants to know. It's, it's true. Um, I love at the gates. Um, uh, he wants to know. He wants to know what your favorite pizza topping is. Ooh, uh, artichokes. Oh wow! Nice choice. Mm-hmm. Are, just the hearts or the whole thing? Uh. Probably just the hearts, the way it runs out. I mean, yeah. It's just always a treat. You bite in the artichoke, you're like, ooh, what's that? Oh, it's an artichoke. It's just so I find, delicious. I find artichokes, I kind of like everything, but I find artichokes are kind of like cold and watery usually. I'm not a huge fan. Uh, next question comes from, um, oh, geez, I didn't write down who. Sorry, dude. He wants <laughs> to know, uh, what was it like? Oh, Justin George wants to know, what was it like to have a song featured in a Madden video game? Uh, it was awesome. Uh, we still have people come up and be like, yeah, dude, I heard your song on Madden. That's what got me into you guys. I'm like, really? Like you, you became a fan of a band from a video game, but I totally get it. Like after how big that franchise is, um, yeah. some of the bands they get on there, it's like, it's really cool. And doing the press junket for that was awesome. Cause it's like rise against and taking back Sunday. I'm like, oh, sweet. We're legit. Right well, that's on. cool. Yeah. No, I, well, I remember like, like, uh, Tony Hawk was the, you know, that mm-hmm. had the best music, like Tony Hawk too. I remember I knew some of those bands, but like, it's funny. I never really liked Millen Colin that much. And then that song is like still like, I love that song, but I yeah, think man. it's just cause it, I heard it so much playing that stupid video game. Dude, but you, anyways. you built a bond. You shredded the gnar with Millen Colin, dude. It's, that's what yeah. it's that's up. Yeah. yeah. Well, I no, I don't know. Like I love like that era of punk rock, but for some reason, Millen Colin, I was always like, eh. And I actually got in a car accident once while listening to Mill and Collins, so maybe it's a personal problem. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what else we got? Okay, um, Callum McLeod asks, uh, says, you said you wouldn't tour overseas again. Uh, is it just too hard? Uh, he says as a small band. I don't think you guys are a small band, but maybe over there you are. Is that something you're going to do again yeah. to tour overseas? Uh, well... I mean, Australia, Japan still on the table. Like, UK, UK is just real expensive to do. Um, yeah. And we've never, I don't know, for some reason, we never really, like, broke really well there. I think we have a loyal fan base of, like, you know, 100, 200 kids maybe uh, per show. But it's not really, like, anything that pads the pockets enough. Like, so we just, you know, kind of res- uh, resorted to playing a bunch of festivals, like Slam Dunk, really. Um, right. And while that's great, like, you know, you can only do that so much and it just, I don't know, it just never really happened for us there. And financially, like I'm having a kid in a couple of weeks and Oh, congratulations. This, thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? It's a little girl. Little girl. Yeah. 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 Very excited for that. But, you know, it's like we got old and it's not like we're really like road dogging it a whole lot anymore to make yeah. sense. We're like, we got to go to the UK. We got to go to Europe. And so, it, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we still might well, do Australia, topic, Japan when it comes up. Yeah. Well, we're on the topic. You guys did a ten-year tour for Chroma. How was that? Uh, dude, it was it was amazing. Like, you know, you, you you're in a, a band long enough, and you start to feel like fuck this. Like, I'm just tired. And then, yeah. um, you know, we sort of uh, set ourselves up to do the Chroma tour for a while. Like, we want to do the vinyl, like special release, and all this stuff. And um, we put a lot of planning into it. And 
it just kind of a lot, kind of put a lot of expectations and hopes on it, and it exceeded all of them. Like everybody came out, it was kind of a reunion of sorts for a lot of us. And you know, there's a lot of band members that we had toured with over uh, the course of time that right. came out to the shows to like we figured like oh yeah they just want to hang out i haven't seen them in a while cool sweet. and then we see them in the back rocking out it's like okay this is rad it was just it was fun it was a lot of fun that's awesome yeah uh did you guys do uh we did a 10-year tour or two for our second record uh this past mm-hmm. year it was a blast uh but i always am interested in because i didn't catch the tour uh how did you guys do it did you guys do the record from start to finish did you start with the record or did you play it like did you play some songs and then play the record how'd you guys do it we did it front to back and then came out and played like three or four more songs afterwards. Cool. Cause it's cool, a pretty cool. long record. I think Chroma like tops out like, uh, like 48 minutes on CD, let alone. Oh yeah. Live. Yeah. Wow. That happens when you have a 12 minute song at the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we're back to the lightning round. Uh, uh, Philip Fr- uh, Fradkin asks, is it a coincidence all the albums start with a C? Um, no. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> it, it, we didn't ever plan on that to happen at all. We did, you know, Cartel Chrome, and it's like, oh, look at that, six letters, sweet. And then the second we were like, okay, this is the self-titled one because we're trying to, like, make a statement that, like, this is the band yes. we want you guys to hear. And so, obviously, that's, you know, six letters and starts with a C. And then it came around, we were trying to look for titles. We tried really hard to not do a word with a C for cycles. And then the song that kept coming back around to us was Retrograde, which in the bridge I mentioned, uh, Cycle. Um, and yep. it was like, Cycles, guys? <laughs> and they were, everybody's like, oh, yeah, but yeah, no, we got to do that. And we came up with a bunch of titles and none of them were as cool. So we were like, you know, it's kind of a thing now. Like, why don't we just do it? It's you a know? thing. It's a thing. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to name your daughter? Do you have a name picked out yet? Sophie. With Not with a C, I hope. No, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would be pretty funny because that actually would be six <laughs> letters too. God, man. Oh, man. You can't get away from it. That's like some some uh, number 23. Uh, D- I was just uh, about Jim to say Perry exactly. Shit, man. Exactly, yeah. All right. And the last question that a lot of people were asking uh, is, is there a new com- new album coming? And if so, when? Um, maybe. And I don't know when it would happen. Um, Joseph's actually teching for Third Eye Blind right now. Um, and we're all kind of, you know, I'm in the production game pretty hard. So we're, we're kind of taking a step back from everything for a little bit. I mean, just finally taking a break, really. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's that question when you get to this point in time in career where it's like, do we have anything else to say, you know? And I don't know if we do. Um, I would like to think we do because I, I love Cartel and everything that it's, you know, done for us as a band and individually. But um, I'm not married to the idea that we have to, like, keep it going for the sake of keeping it going. If we do another record, it'll be because we have to do another record. Okay. But I hope we do. Uh, it's just not currently in the works. <laughs> well, a lot of people hope you do, judging from from Twitter and uh, uh, you know people love people love Cartel and not just Chroma. You know, people love all the records and all the records are great. So, um, Appreciate hey man, it. thank you, thank you so much for jumping on Lead Singer Syndrome with me, and all the best with uh, uh, your family, which is yeah. awesome, yeah, uh, and all the best true. with all the production stuff, and um, yeah. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go pick up my girlfriend now from work, and I'm gonna rock Chroma on the way for old times' sake. <laughs> awesome, man! Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely, will. Take care, man.
Yes, sir, you too. Wait, what? Everything on MTV isn't real? <laughs> I love the I love talking to him about that stuff and I love that he just really spilled the beans on uh all the tricks that they pull on TV and and you know when he told me that they cut together like stuff from different days to try to make drama, you know, you really wonder about all those shows like you know, like The Bachelor and and all that stuff, and um, you know, especially that show, you know, The Bachelor, uh, Bachelorette, whatever uh, they have on right now. Um, you know, they they kind of fuck with people's emotions, and they can actually do that just by putting things out of context. You know, and all these people that are watching the show months after are looking back, being like, "Oh, I was such an idiot," when really they weren't that off in their mind about what happened. You know, it's just you know, editing and, and all that stuff. And um, I just thought that was a really interesting perspective and really just relevant to, to like our culture of, of entertainment and what we take at face value um, and, you know, what we really shouldn't take at face value and what we really should just kind of not take as anything, just completely disregard it. And another thing, uh, there's a lot of producers that are singers like John Feldman, uh, Butch Walker. <laughs> there's tons, and I don't know why I couldn't think of any, but when you put yourself on the spot, sometimes it goes that way. Next week, we'll be back for another episode. Yep, please get in touch. Let me know what you thought of this episode and what you want to see from future episodes. Leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. All the best. This is Shane. I'm going to leave you with the Cartel Classic, Honestly. Peace and love. I'm out. Thanks for listening to Lead Singer Syndrome. Please don't mind what I'm trying to say Cause I'm being honest when I tell you that you You're part of the reason I'm so the rest of my life being a burden.
It's Shane. Remember back in the 90s when bands used to put secret hidden tracks at the end of their CDs? That's what I'm trying to do now. Anyways, hey, we're going to start a special fan club for Lead Singer Syndrome really soon. So please, if you're still listening to this and you're a big fan, get in touch and let us know what you want to see. That's all. Thanks. We'll see you next week.